Association Rockstars, where we hear about the journey and insights of amazing association executives and partners who are building the industry of tomorrow. I'm your host, Lowell Applebaum. I'm the CEO of Vistacova, where we partner with organizations on strategy and facilitation. And I'm so, so happy to have with me today, Belinda Moore. Belinda is the Director of Strategic Membership Solutions and has worked in the association space since 1993. Over that time, she's written four books, authored four white papers, and is the editor of the Associations Evolve 2022 and Beyond Thought Leadership Journal. She also writes the popular association Annie comic strips, and she is known for her enthusiastic and engaging style. Belinda is frequently engaged by associations to assist with the strategy development and implementation. She's a skilled facilitator. She can speak knowledgeably on an array of topics relating to the association strategy, business models, and membership. Oh, and by the way, she's from Australia. And we are so happy to have her with us today. Hi, Belinda. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So in all of our conversations, uh, when we talk to an association rock star, we know that part of being a rock star means that you have skill sets or you have some strengths that make you amazing. And so we always like to start these interviews with a simple question, or maybe not so simple. Uh, which is what is one of your superpowers? What is one of the places that you have strength uh, that you have found has helped you throughout your career? You know, and I know this is going to sound a bit weird, but I'm a compulsive organizer. I cannot stand to leave a mess undone. And that has been fabulous because when I see data and research and information and a problem, <laughs> I love to organize it all to something that's practical because the I suppose the combination of that is I'm probably to a fault extremely practical in my approach. I don't like to produce a resource or, or see some information that's not being converted into something you can use it for. Yeah. So yes, that converting complex information and insights into practical tools is probably my biggest superpower. You know, we, it feels like we live in a world where there's ever more data every day, right? The, the ability to find resources or knowledge or data or insight is at the touch of a keypad. Yeah, it's interesting. Go ahead. Right, well, let's see it. We're drowning in information. Our mm. members don't want information. They want insights. And that's why back when I started in 93, associations you say, yeah, we provide our members with information. Well, I don't want that. What our members want is content curation. They want insights that they can usefully apply immediately to a practical end. But I think that's something where associations can really refine that as their superpower often too. Have you saw that? I think that's the question I wanted to ask, right? Is that as a superpower that uh, you hold feels like a place of key value for organizations in terms of what they can offer from your own perspective. Is that something you think that organizations are thriving in or where do you see organizations examples of those that do it really well and what makes them do it well? Oh, see, that's good. Um, the ability to focus is probably the, the best outcome of that. Because if you're converting complex information into a practical tool, that involves an element of focus on what is the problem that we're solving. And before COVID hit, I wrote a paper called Association Apocalypse. Now, if anyone sees that paper, you need to understand I was pretty angry when I'd written that because there were so many things changing out in the operational landscape that associations weren't adapting to, shifters in tech, shifts in like technology and generations and the way we communicate, et cetera. And I could see they weren't shifting fast enough. It was really frustrating me. And I wrote this white paper and yes, it was all popular, but then COVID hit. 
And what we saw is organizations who I would have thought maybe 10 years to make the level of change that they required were suddenly doing it in three months. Mm -hmm. I mean, COVID's been horrendous, don't get me wrong. It's been a massive disaster for so many people. But the silver lining that I saw at associations is that ability to focus and be nimble to come up with practical tools immediately. And we did uh, research into 426 associations here in Australia and New Zealand. And we saw, we're looking for what are the common characteristics for associations who successfully navigated through. And interestingly, a leadership with a shared vision of how they need, the, uh, where they were going, what they needed to do, the ability to operationally implement it, but more important, a nimble, fail fast, solutions orientated approach where they could focus was the common characteristics for those who'd come through, not just surviving, but thriving. Yeah. Uh, and so lots of associations who've done that really successfully. So those are the, the associations that have found strength in this opportunity moment of transition and innovation. Mm. And the work that you've done sort of across the association landscape, have you seen any overarching indicators or strengths in the leaders of those associations? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what have they had to, what have they had to have a superpower? or what have they have to had to do to navigate this, these rocky waters and help their organizations? That's an interesting one because there's been a real shift in Australia, for example. A lot of the association leaders up until the, the late 90s came from ex-army. So it was a very authoritarian way of running their organizations and very, very traditional, this idea that someone's a member or a non-member and if you're not a member, you're a lower-class citizen. Uh, and there's been a real shift and some of the best leaders who are coming through are far more collaborative. They focus on the fact that associations are not about recruiting, retaining members. They're about achieving a purpose and they're very, very focused on that impact that they're making. But harnessing that purpose is a superpower itself by getting their staff and their stakeholders, all of the other people who sit, the other humans who sit around their association harnessed behind that purpose really powerfully. And that brings a level of passion that's really, really inspirational. And you can see how it just snowballs. It builds these momentums in these, these associations. And that focus has been a really big shift from that transactional, traditional, you know, we're here to recruit and retain members and we do these things to, well, we don't have to do the things we've always done. Right now, what are, our, what are those people we serve, not just our members need, and what do we need to do now to create the positive impact? You know, those leaders that have successfully done that, right? If you were to be advising them in terms of from what you see as what's coming in the next few months or years, in terms of where they should develop skill sets or experience or perspectives, what do you think leaders for the association community tomorrow are going to need in terms of strengths? You know, it's the ability to, to be scanning the broader operating landscape. If you look at things like what's the shifts in technology, and, and, you know, technology is a big one because mass personalization is almost tantalizingly close enough to reach the idea that technology is available that can anticipate member needs before they're even aware of it themselves and deliver it to them. But that's a threat as much as an opportunity because every association, they don't sit in isolation. There's often overlapping associations, if not ones that are head to head. So if you're in an environment where membership has not traditionally been scalable, which is most associations, right. and you've tended to, skip to stick to your own knitting, so to speak. 
But suddenly this technology comes in that makes technology scalable and that you can facilitate human-to-human interaction in a more automated manner where the association kind of gets out of the way. Well, if you're the association that does that first, congratulations. It's first successfully, you're the winner, but any association sitting around them is in trouble. So that ability to scan the environment and even look at the onflow and something that's just recent is, for example, the situation in Ukraine. You're looking at all of these huge companies like Nike, Visa, MasterCard, Shell, who are making decisions not just to support different players, but they're acting as nation states in their own right to try and influence the outcome. Right. That's a significant shift. It's a big shift from, say, in World War II, where Steinway dropped 10,000 pianos into the battlefields to try and boost the morale of the, the troops. This is actually playing a, a role as a, as a state actor almost. And the impact of that for associations is actually going to be significant for those who are who are paying attention because corporations now are playing a role beyond their key remit of we make iPhones or we provide payment services. It's a broader purpose and a theme that's come through really strongly in my conversations with associations, particularly in the last six months or so, has been that idea of associations who serve their communities but also a higher purpose. And one of the things we're seeing with what's happening in Ukraine is the companies that are doing this are going to demand the same things of their professional and industry bodies. So if you're looking at what do they need to be doing to personally develop, I'd be saying watching for trends, keeping an eye on the news and looking for things and thinking how could this impact those we serve. Where do you see from the work that you do or from your own personal perspective that when organizations make the choice of where to involve, the, to intersect, right, the organization's mission with societal mm. priorities, that there can be precedent setting there, right? Like if you get involved in what's happening here, does that obligate you to get involved in what happens next and next and next? And do you see organizations that are having those long-term considerations before they have that involvement? Or do you see that we're in this place of like gut reaction from crisis after crisis that they're just responding? Well, that's interesting because I think that's a choice is whether you choose to be proactive or responsive. And the associations who I think are doing this well are having a very considered approach to this to say, what do we stand for? If we're going to harness the power that exists in our members, let's focus it where we can make the best impact in a manner that's aligned to what we're doing. And and I think the associations who are doing that are doing it very clever because you're not just jumping onto the same old bandwagon that everyone else in the community is jumping on this week. You've actually got a long-term vision for a powerful change because when you want to actually achieve a big change, something that's going to change our society or change an industry, um, that takes planning because you've got to build momentum. You need something to get the early wins so that people get on board. You've got to have the long-term objective. You've got to think, do we need to advocate on behalf of our members, but also how can we engage and mobilise our members so they feel part of the solution? That doesn't happen quickly. That takes planning and it takes the ability to manage it and tweak it. And you can't do that without choosing to be proactive rather than reactive. You know, I love the uh, the greater perspective you bring to the table that has a longitudinal potential to it, but also a short-term consideration. Now, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious, you say you've been, you've been in this community, in this realm, and like in this industry since the, I believe you said the mid-90s? Yeah, I think 93 was my first association job. How'd you find your way into the association world? 
Do you know, uh, I have always been involved in some kind of non-profits from selling tickets, you know, raffle tickets for Rotary at school and, and joining the Queensland China Business Association at uni to try and foster, um, working with them to foster two-way interaction and trade. But do you know there's a difference? I fell into it. But there was a moment, it's kind of like joining. It's a transactional decision to, jo to join, but it's an emotional decision to belong. Mm -hmm. I can actually track the moment where I belonged to when I was working with a retail association. And a woman who was a very nice lady, she rang up in utter tears. She was a florist and the sweetest old lady you've ever come across. And everything had just gone wrong for her in, in some really awful ways. Mm -hmm. And I actually realised I could solve all of her problems. And it was interesting. We, she had two or three really big things going on and I was able to put her through to the industrial relations people who sold that and able to, to deal with a few competitive issues she was having. And at the end of the call, she was so joyful and so grateful because I'd had such a powerful impact on not just her business but her life because when you're a small business owner, that it permeates through every aspect of your life. And then I realised this is why we work in an association because we're not selling a tube of toothpaste yeah. Whether it's a professional body, an industry body, a cause, we're making a difference to people's lives, their careers and their businesses. And the better we are at our jobs, the more amazing things we can do. And it was at that moment I went, this is where I belong. Mm. This is this is it. I love mm. that moment of belonging. You know, the, the follow-up question I want to ask is clearly you've had a, a moment or two in your journey in this realm. Uh, and so from what you just said, right, the better we are at what we do, the more we can help. Mm. Where have you sought, pursued, or succeeded in your own professional development uh, along your journey in this world? Like, where have you grown? What have you tried to learn? Do you know, it's in so many different ways. I feel like I've transformed as a person. But what are the, the ability to adapt? So when I first started out, there was so little research available we learned for all of us who are working in membership and associations we learned with a lot of error that trial and error bit they forget to tell you it's a lot of error um and it was as research started to come through that we started to learn more but that did mean that when i was at that same retail association one of the things that i noticed was that associations we had a lot of good people with good intent but not necessarily the underlying processes so i developed a seven-step model for recruiting and retaining members, you know, lead generation, prospect relationship management, sales, you know, et cetera. And I implemented it where I was and we doubled our membership in two years. We went from 1,500 members to a little over 3,000 members. Awesome. And I was really excited. So I actually went to a Society of Association Executives Conference to talk about that and I was terrified because back then I was actually young and the society then was only for CEOs and I was invited to speak and I was terrified that I was going to be telling all of these CEOs how to suck eggs, you know, what they already know. And I got up and I talked to the model and what we'd done and how we'd done it. And, and this was probably a big learning experience for me because then at the end of my presentation, most of the delegates lined up wanting to talk to me to find out if I could come and do the same thing in their organisations. And, and that was probably a big learning because I realised, one, I should never assume that just because somebody's in a role, that they understand everything that they need to do to be able to execute it well. 
and that was that was also the start of my career moving off into research and consultancy because I started doing all of that work on my annual leave, used up on my annual leave, leave without pay, and then I thought, stuff it, I'm going to go and do this full time and, and haven't looked back. But conversely, the other learning that I've had since then is that every single time I go into an association, as much as they're learning from me, I'm learning from them. Yeah. And, it's a, and that's probably... Um, a big thing I've found, it's continuous. You're always having to review and update your thinking around things as new information comes to hand and not to be stuck in just because I believe this at this stage, that this is going to be the case forever, because it's not. And in fact, if we've always doing, if we're always doing things the same way we've always done them, we're not even going to get what we always got. It'd be a whole lot less. Yeah. You know, I'm a, uh... You know, I have to acknowledge that so much of what you create, what you craft and what you share is really both your own voice and recognizing other voices and bringing them together and elevating them. And so I'm just incredibly curious, where do you look for information, inspiration? Like, are there periodicals you read? Are there websites you scan? Like, where, where are you looking for the trends so that if others want to learn uh, from where you look, they can learn that as well? Well, for a start, I love your LinkedIn. If anybody's anybody's not following you on LinkedIn, they really need to be because you're a fun and fascinating. I didn't plan that. That was not planned. <laughs> it's fascinating. But do you know I found um, traditional and non-traditional sources? So always scanning for when people are releasing research and not just from the societies, but also from the vendors. There's a lot of quality research coming out and being able to read it critically to understand, okay, is this actually, um, how was it done? Is it valid? but also listening to the stories that people are telling to try and pick up early trends that maybe no one's even thought to research yet. So it's um, not just an association literature. Like I love the Harvard Business Review. Yeah. Um, I love reading a lot of different newspapers, even some that I don't necessarily, I'm not going to believe in, but it gives you different perspectives. And if you can hear the different perspectives, you can argue your own perspective more emphatically or yeah. more efficiently. The, uh, I, I love the concept that there's indicators of foresight and the future in the narratives that are being told if we listen to the stories in the right way. I love that as a concept. Oh, and there's so many great stories out there. And, you know, the hard thing is just, and well, you're obviously an expert at it because you run these interviews, but there are so many people who are doing amazing work. And in associations, this is really common. They're so busy doing the amazing work. They don't share it with others and they need people to come and to draw those stories out so the rest of us can benefit from it and, and learn not just from the successes, but sometimes also from the failures because a genuine failure isn't the falling down. It's not getting back up again. And I think associations who are doing really well at the moment are the ones who aren't afraid to fail. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the tolerance for risk right now when there's so much in transition is huge. Mm. Time goes by on this always quickly. Uh, I want to make sure before we're out of it, I ask you at least one last question, which is that clearly this has been uh, not a short amount of time in this profession, in this field, in this landscape. And as you think about far, far, far in the future, uh, when you uh, are willing to bid adieu to this industry, what do you hope your legacy is? Like, what do you hope that you'll leave behind uh, as a lesson, as a thought, as an impact? One of the things that I love about the work that I do is that the outcome impacts not just the associations, but their members. And with the shift we're seeing into the greater impact 
beyond those members and those communities that they serve. So when I think about the positive impact I want my work to have, I want to leave the world a better place because I've existed and I want the work I've done, it's not something that needs to be acknowledged because it's such a, it's such a, it's a facilitator role. All I can do is to give people the pathways, yeah. but it makes me really joyful to think about the fact that the work I've done is impacting people positively across industries, causes, professions, and not just in Australia, but on a global basis. And that's the legacy that I want to leave knowing that the world's a better place because I've been there. I love that. Well, it ran by. I feel like we could have talked for hours more, but thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your perspective on the industry and your own journey as well, Belinda. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you to, uh, as always, Amy Hager, who's chatting with you all in the all the social media platforms and to everyone who tunes in, watches, and listens as we learn together from some amazing association partners and executives as we continue our journey to build a better world through associations. Until next time, Association Rock On.